all of a sudden the storm breaks for a second and the sun sort of comes over the peaks and the mountains and there's this rainbow over the town and we see this guest house that's essentially right where we were when we first asked, where's the hotel? Episode 113, Bicycle Racing, Adventure Travel, and Podcasting with Derek Loudermilk. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis. Today's guest is Derek Loudermilk. Derek is a self-proclaimed bicycle racer and scientist turned world traveler and entrepreneur. So far, he has visited 27 countries, all 50 of the United States, and has lived on four continents. In addition to his love for bicycle racing, Derek is the host of the Art of Adventure podcast, where he interviews athletes, artists, and other entrepreneurs who are living their lives full of adventure. Derek, welcome to our show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you, bud. So let's get started and tell me a little bit about your background. Um, who were you? How'd you grow up? And what got you started in pro cycling? Yeah, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I at this point, I feel like I've, I've tried just about every sport that I can think of, with the exception of uh, mixed martial arts. Because I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure how I feel about getting hit in the face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I was a kid, um, we I, I went to school down in the city, and we would we would drive past this big old giant ice rink every every day on the way to school, and there was a bunch of speed skaters that were out there early in the mornings skating around, and um, so I, I would ask my mom to stop and we we would watch the speed skaters and um and then eventually i i just said you know that, that looks so amazing so magical that i just want to do that and they're going so fast i just want to go fast and uh so i was a short track speed skater for for quite some time i was um pretty pretty competitive uh, in the younger age categories and Went to speed skating camp and you know skated with Apollo Ono and and all those guys that became Olympic heroes and um, that that sort of opened the door for sports for me in general and uh, I went on to be a a runner a triathlete and post college uh, a cyclist. Man, so you were uh, you were busy in the sport, so speed was a real draw to you then. Yeah, and, and and you know, um I I was a runner for many years and there was the constant pull of cycling threatening to, you know, I was I was a runner in college and I committed to to run track and field, uh but there was the constant pull of bicycles and going even that little bit faster just just so that I could, you know, and and probably it's a good thing that I didn't um 
get into motorcycles because <laughs> then I really would have gone too fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a danger. Um, so it seemed, was it more of a draw of human-powered speed for you or is it just a matter of I just want to feel the, the wind rushing past me and, and I don't care how I get my speed? Well, it's a bit of both. Um, when I'm going downhill, especially when you find that perfect road that has the, you know, banked corners every eight seconds and you can just really, really rail it. That, um, in, in particular, there is a, a town that I lived in in Spain that had a 15-minute downhill. It took about an hour to go uphill and 15 minutes down. And I, after several months, I learned exactly the layout of the corners so that I could do the whole thing at about 50 miles an hour without breaking the, the entire time. Um, and so the, you know, there's no human power at that point. It's just like perfectly measuring the, the pitch and roll of the road, but you have to earn it. You have to, you have to bike to the top of the mountain to get there in the first place. So I guess, I guess there was that human powered element, um, that that makes you feel, (laughs) it makes you feel like you deserve this joy that you're getting. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. It's a human-powered piece of it that that you really get the reward from because you do work at it. Once you get to the top and you get to go down, that's that's the true reward. I I I can totally relate to that. When I moved to Boulder, Colorado, uh, up in the Flatirons, there were some roads that we would ride our mountain bikes up to, and you you would chug away for an hour riding up this thing, you know, just to get to the top. And the whole reason for it was to ride down. But you, like you said, you have to work hard to get up there. But it was truly rewarding to come all the way back down. It, it was uh, I loved it. You know, and then there's at the same time there's uh, this great idea that they have called ski lifts. Where uh, you could just go up to the top for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now that I'm older, I think I prefer that way of uh, of riding downhill. No need to ride up it to get downhill. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> so, what is it about cycling? Why would you encourage people to to get into it? There's got to be more of a, a spiritual draw, something mm. that that does it for you. Yeah. The, I mean, cycling is the most. <clears throat> Beautiful sport in the world for me. I I grew up watching it on the Tour de France and the colors of the the jerseys and and the scenery that they're biking through was a spectacle that drew me in. And I would go on adventures uh, with my my best friend. We would we would say, "Hey, we're gonna go ride all day long." And we were I don't know twelve or thirteen, um, and we would go I don't know maybe thirty miles, but it seemed like you know we were gone all day and we had stop at the donut shop and we just felt so cool. Um, and so, so partly cycling is an excuse to be independent and get you out exploring in the world, whether on a mountain bike or on the roads or wherever. Um, but as I, as I got older, I really started to embrace the, the game of, of tactics and strategy in cycling. And if you don't know that much about road cycling, in my opinion, it's the most complex sport that there is uh, because uh, take um, soccer or football or baseball, you have essentially two teams, strategy versus strategy. Uh, in cycling, there's dozens of teams. And so the number of different variables goes up into the millions quite quickly. And um, it's one of the only sports where the fittest athlete won't always win. And and so as a tactically superior athlete or, or, a, or a team that has its act together, 
you can you can win races even if you're not the fittest team, which is super cool for a guy like me that was never the naturally gifted uh, person that could run away from from the rest of the runners. And so it gave me the opportunity to to study the the drafting tactics, to study the the course, um, and, and to figure out who my opponents were and how I could use them to my advantage uh, to to win to actually win some races. And uh, it's it's hugely exciting to win because you out thunk your uh, opponents. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, I, I'm glad you went into that explanation. I never looked at at cycle racing like that before i would have just made the assumption that it was about being fit and you know the the let the fittest man win but there's a lot of calculation there and you're right you're up against a lot of different calculators at the same time yeah and it's um you know it's it's a it's like a game if if you if you play chess or or some strategy game like that um and and then you're you're trying to deal with the strategy while running out of oxygen, and so you can hardly think. And so the, the the guys that are successful, they can keep thinking about what they're supposed to be doing under this extreme stress of not having enough oxygen in the brain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, a lot of endurance uh, management there for sure. How so? How far did you get in cycling when you were competing? Yeah, I was com- competing uh, in. In the U.S., in the national racing calendar, sort of the, the big races in the U.S. Uh, didn't make it to the Tour de France. I would have loved to. Uh, eventually, I hope to go there and be one of those crazy fans that runs alongside the, the cyclists and gets, <laughs> right. gets on TV that way. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, you stopped competing before the, the U.S. Pro Cycling Tour in Colorado, I assume? Ah, yeah. I actually um, I, I moved out of Colorado just weeks before the first edition to go back to grad school in Montana. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's bad timing. <laughs> that would have been my fun. You like, said you, you lived in Boulder here. for a while. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I always know of that trip because it always, I always manage to uh, plan a multi-day motorcycle trip during that weekend or that week. And I always end up getting out in the middle of it and realizing I have to reroute myself or look carefully at, at where they're going to be riding because they close off so much, uh, so much of the the mountain highways, you know, during that ride. So yeah, I'm always well aware of that for sure. Well, I think you answered one of my questions for me that I've always wondered. And that question is, why do I love motorcycle riding? And you're probably saying, what in the world are you getting at? But you mentioned two wheels providing that sense of freedom for you. And I think that's probably what clicks with people. You get on two wheels as a kid and you get off on the bike and you're able to go, you know, distances away from the house that you haven't been able to travel on, on foot. And all of a sudden this is your first uh, realization of your sense of freedom. So man, that's uh thanks for, for making that click. I'm 42 years old and you finally allowed me to figure that out. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so off of cycling, um, we're going to make that one a quick one because you've done a ton of stuff, and I want to I want to fit as much of it in as we can. Sure, yeah. Um, let's go to world travel. Um, you're an accomplished traveler at this point. 27 countries, all 50 United States, which was a bucket list item, by the way, and you've resided on four continents. Um, during all of that time, is there a story of the most amazing experience that you encountered uh, while doing that travel? Well, um, there's, I mean, it's it's full of amazing experiences. And, and when you set yourself up 
to be in a new place, of course, you're going to have cool memories. Um, I can I can talk about one story. Uh, when I went to Alaska, that was my final state. I went there uh, when I was 30. My goal is all 50 states before 30. Um, and I'd always wanted to to walk on a glacier. And, you know, there's just not that many glaciers around. So it's, it's a little bit harder to find. Um, and so when I got to Alaska, that was my priority. We just, we just got to get to a glacier and I just want to walk on it. And uh, we actually went um, and hiked up this um, up this mountain, essentially, that was next to to a glacier, and you could kind of see the glacier, uh, the very the very edge of the glacier where it starts to make a, a river. I'm not sure what that that feature is called, but anyway, the glacier looked to be about I don't know 400 feet wide, and I was like, oh, that's cool, it's blue. Um, but we got up to the top of this of this mountain, and the entire ice field. The Harding Ice Sheet, which is, I, I don't know, 80 miles across, basically just a huge bowl, half a mile deep full of ice um, in the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska. And it, it's just this huge white bowl. And there's this bright blue sky and this craggy white blue snow. And you just feel so small and, it, you know, you can't imagine the the immensity of it, and that was the, exactly the experience that I was hoping for being on a glacier. Um, and the, <laughs> I don't know even know if there's a moral of of that story, but uh, partly partly the hike up there, you know, it was several hours to get up there through through deep snow, and it's always worth it for that one sort of awe inspiring view that you get when you look down on, on some majestic landscape and you're and you're all up there by yourself you know yeah that's cool well it doesn't need to be a moral to the story i mean just the the simple fact that it's ingrained in your memory for the rest of your life is is well worth it and you told the the story well i've never stood on a glacier one of these days i need to we have smaller glaciers in the rocky mountains uh, i guess that would qualify but the picture you painted uh, makes me want to get up there and, and check that out for sure and you ever get the uh, that that feeling when you're out in that the middle of something like that? You know, you, like you said, you just feel small. But I almost get these kind of waves of I don't know, it's realization or something. It was kind of like this, you know, it just hits you, you know, like a ton of bricks that that you're out there in the middle of this beauty. Yeah, there's some some spiritual element to it. Um, like you feel insignificant, um, and at the same time hugely important to to be a part of nature or the universe or or whatever it is and you feel feel like magic is possible and all of these and all these things and it sticks with you like you said as a memory and the the more you the more you travel and collect these feelings of awe or these um you know these risks that you've taken um then you have this you have this collection of memories that you can log back into anytime you want and i think that it actually makes your life seem longer it actually makes it seem like your life has been fuller and and therefore you feel more human uh at, at the same time because of because of your collection of memories um and and so adventure is kind of the opposite of routine um Whereas routine, you can accomplish a lot. You can, you know, get your daily chores done. 
adventure, you build this library of memories uh, that that keep you going and, and inspire you. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that statement. Adventure is the opposite of routine. I'm going to steal that one. You can't tell me no. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, you talk about the uh, you know the memories that you create, and I think that. I think I look forward to that one day when I'm too old to go out on adventures. I want to have racked up enough adventure credit or adventure experience credit in my memory bank so that I can live out my last days just reliving those <laughs> adventures. I mean, how awesome does that sound? You know, live it, live it in the real life. And then uh, when you're just too old and you're going to park it on a couch for a while, you can just sit there and relive it until well, you're done. And- your your family and your kids and your your friends they're all just going to sit around and listen to you tell stories <laughs> yes <laughs> because you know uh, an adventure is defined as a remarkable experience and what is a remarkable experience if not something to remark about and hence yep. hence retell in the form of stories uh, i'm sure you have a lot of amazing motorcycle stories um and and that's and that's the whole part of it is creating these cool stories to tell people and yourself yeah, absolutely. You just uh, you just have to be careful. You don't bore the pants off your family member because they've heard it five times already. <laughs> did I ever tell you about the time? Yeah, you That's did. Right. <laughs> yes, you did, Grandpa. No, quiet down. <laughs> For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. So I'm not going to make you tell me the worst place you've been in the world, but you've been in a lot of places. So what is uh, what is your favorite place that you visited? Oh man, this is a great question. Um, I, I today it <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is this place in Australia called the Atherton Tablelands, and it's a really ecologically unique place. It's in the tropical rainforest, uh, North Queensland, uh, which is the Daintree rainforest, one of the oldest rainforests in the world. And, uh, it, it's high enough in elevation that it's, uh, makes it more temperate in climate. So you have these sort of like Irish 
rolling hills full of sheep and cows. Um, and it's also volcanic. So there's, so there's crater lakes everywhere. So it's this weird mix of tropical rainforest, Irish hillsides, and volcanic crater lakes. Um, and when I was there, it was, um, it was very foggy and rainy. And I was in, in my trail running phase. And so I just spent all day, every day, just running on trails through this, through this jungle, essentially. And it was just a super surreal sort of you never knew what to expect. Like one minute you'd find a giant termite mound. Uh, another minute there'd be a, a one-mile-deep lake in the middle of the jungle that I would go swim in or a family of bandicoots, which is, a, which is an Australian marsupial. It's kind of like a cute little hedgehoggy thing. So, yeah, so like crash bandicoot. Exactly, exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I know what one is. <laughs> and um, so it's just this sort of like un- unbelievable, like I can't imagine a place on earth that has all these features smashed together, but yet there it was. Uh, and so so that's my current favorite place in the world. <laughs> oh, that is cool. You definitely introduced me to a new one. While you're talking, I pulled up the uh, the pictures of it, and it, it is absolutely gorgeous. This is a uh, this is a bucket list place. You know, and it's fu- cool. it's funny. I met someone on the plane um, earlier this year, and I was uh, talking about <laughs> I was talking about it, and they're like, "Well, you know, I'm actually from there." I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" Really? And she she was like, "Well, I actually couldn't wait to get out of there." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so of course, you know, like everyone that grows up in an amazing place, they want to go see something different <laughs> yeah exactly somehow the the town is too small and the grass is greener elsewhere and the rest of us are are trying but to somewhere find on earth time in their schedule to get in somewhere on earth has the greenest grass on earth must it, be you know there's got to be one place with the absolute greenest grass that the people are like we're never leaving because the grass is the greenest right <laughs> in des moines iowa or wherever <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i suspect it's over in ireland <laughs> it's got to be all right. So, how about in all these travels? Um, what is a story about when things didn't quite go right? You know, it was just like all hell's breaking loose, and, and we need to we need to finish this up, get out of here. Yeah. Well, um, the the thing that's coming to mind actually is when I was up in Montana for for grad school, we were going to do this uh, backcountry ski trip, and <clears throat> right away uh, we ran into. We were gonna we were gonna ski out to this fire tower that sits on top of a mountain. It has a great view. Uh, ski out one day, ski back the next day, and right away we we got to the trailhead. And uh, my partner had two left ski boots. We had rented skis and, and <laughs> equipment from the from the guiding company, but we were about two hours out of town, and so the dilemma was try to go back before closing time to get the boots, but then we would have a late start to the day or just try to ski with two left feet. Um, and so she she did. She skied with two left boots. And so, you know, when when things go wrong, there's always this series of, like, little decisions that push things over the edge. Uh, you know, everything's fine, everything's fine, and then starting things start adding up. And so we had about we had eleven miles to go, and um, normally we were pretty proficient cross country skiers, and we can ski 
11 miles in an hour and a half or something like that. So we're like, okay, no problem. We've got the whole day, the whole afternoon. Um, first thing that goes wrong is that um, the the wax or the finish on the bottom of the skis is wrong. And so all the snow is sticking to the ski. So instead of skiing, it just becomes like walking on heavy globs of – like when you walk in the mud, you know, and your shoes get covered. Right. So, so that's the first thing. The skis are picking up all the snow. Um, and, and we split our group. Two people were going to go straight up the face of the mountain the short way. Uh, we didn't have the, the alpine-type touring gear, so we were going the long way around the side of the mountain. Like when, when a train has to go around the mountain, it doesn't go straight up. It has to go kind of that's, – that's what we were doing, going around the side. And um, we also didn't have a map. But what we did have was we had a uh, little app – on our iPhone that, that sort of told us uh, GPS where we were on the mountain. So, okay, we got that. So we kind of know where we are. We're following this, following the river, so we should be okay. About um, dusk, it starts to snow super hard. And uh, we realized that we're only about halfway there, and the snow is just making making things even slower and, and and it seems like we're going about a mile an hour now and we so okay we got five more hours left uh sunset and you know how are we going to get there and the dilemma was it's too late to turn around because the people with the car keys are already up at the fire tower so we have to get to the fire tower we can't spend the night out in the snow because we don't have survival equipment and so essentially our only option is to keep going to the fire tower. So we know we have five hours ahead of us through sticky snow in a snowstorm in the dark. And at that point you start you're not, not, not really panicking but thinking this is much harder <laughs> than I bargained for. Yeah, I am deeper than I thought I would be here. And um, – so as as the sun sets, we realized that if we skied off the trail, uh, we would basically fall up to our necks in snow, and and so it was a definitely a priority to stay on the packed trail, except that uh, it was dark, so we couldn't see where the trail was. It was essentially covered in fresh snow, so you couldn't tell. Uh, so it was essentially one person going forward, uh, and seeing whether they're going to fall off into the abyss, into the snow pit, uh, and then the other person inching up behind them. And so, so I start to, start to go into, um, you know, what, what are the worst-case scenarios? If we do have to build a snow cave, a snow shelter, how would we do that? Uh, I start making lists of, of all the food and water that we still have to know how to ration the energy. And essentially it was, it was just plugging away one step after another. And about nine o'clock at night, we crest this ridge and we see a light in the distance. And we know that that's the fire tower. And we start, you know, we're like, yeah, let's go. We start going. And of course, the first thing that happens, we fall off the trail into a deep snow pit. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, get back on the trail, uh, pick our way across. And we see our friends like, you know, we're like flashing our headlamps, signaling at them like, hey, we're okay. Um, but it still takes us half an hour to get there. And so they're flashing their lights back like, come over here. Um, 
and we get there and we're we're just totally exhausted and our friends were you know we didn't know what to do we were about to come look for you but we didn't really want to go outside because it's a snowstorm and uh you know we just immediately drank some beer and it was it was such a huge relief to know that we had made it um especially without <laughs> without um without arguing you know without we were like both so in the zone um and it was really cool to to realize that we could we could survive and and make it through this this test without killing each other and and uh, and, and without killing ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely takes a certain mindset. It was probably the uh, the the best shelter, you know, best thing ever to come across that that fire tower. But while you were in the middle of it, it's it's tough. You know, you can either you can even lose your marbles, you know, and and all hell breaks loose, or you can look back, you know, and say, we're going to look back on this, this moment years from now, and we're going to laugh and we're going to enjoy telling the story, which you obviously do. Um, I think that's, to me, that's adventure. You know, when you get into those binds and you have to get yourself out, um, but knowing all throughout the, the hard time that you're going to look back on it and, and have a good laugh. Yeah. It's good old, good old type two fun. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not that fun when you're doing it, but looking back, it's pretty great. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. I love those moments. <laughs> All right. Let's go get into, um, what you, what it is you do now. Now you kind of, you kind of got out of cycling. Um, we didn't even get into the, the, uh, microbiology stuff. I want to, want you to tell me about the, the, the virus you discovered a little bit later, but mm, yeah. what, it, what is, uh, Derek doing currently? You're a podcaster, um, you're essentially an entrepreneurship coach. Um, you're an author. So tell us all about what it is you're doing now. Tell us about your podcast and where it is people can find you. Yeah. Uh, the, the podcast is the art of adventure and I'm, uh, on episode 99 right now, just recorded. So that's exciting. And I've been, uh, traveling basically being a location independent coach, for a year and a half, all through South Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Singapore, Malaysia, and now Bali, which is where I am, was my home base um, at the moment. And yeah, I I I love to teach about adventure. I love to tell stories about adventure, and I love the way that they they transform people and give people self confidence. Uh, decision-making ability, uh, ability to form relationships um, with with everyone they meet, and so that's that's the framework, the tool that I use to to help people become more charismatic and confident, so that they can achieve whatever they want in in business or, or travel or um, or setting up a, a lifestyle that they want to live. So how do you go about that? You say you use adventure to teach people how to uh, get through life or to have confidence in life. Uh, what does that look like? What is it you actually do for them? Yeah, I um, I tell a lot of stories and uh, I set up challenges and, and quests for people to to try to challenge themselves. So, you know, whatever it is that will help you advance to the to the next level whether it's um say asking for something that you expect to get a no to uh, this is something that i've been experimenting with myself uh 
for for example, I wanted to throw a huge party for charity to to raise a lot of money uh, for my birthday, and so I I wasn't sure how to do it, but I I asked uh, a party promoter friend that I know if if he would if he would throw a party for me, and uh, I was really surprised that he said that he said yes, and um, it was great. We raised several hundred dollars, and I had. 150 people come to my house for a big birthday party and it was more than I could ever have imagined and it was super uncomfortable for me to to ask for that because I expected that he would be like not not really interested no no thanks um and so whatever it is that that is pushing your comfort zone pushing your boundaries um getting up there and and speaking in front of a group um you know, getting out there and doing a physical adventure. Um, those are the things we're kind of trying to break down so that, so that we can um, make you a confident leader. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. What a great idea. You know, I think in adventure, I think people often get out and they're, they're adventurous people, but they don't realize uh, during those adventures and those experiences what it's really doing for them uh, for their personal growth. I don't, I don't think I ever really realized that. And as you describe it, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot that I can attribute in life to having gone through those hardships. And like you say, pushing oneself outside their comfort zone can do wonders. Yeah, it sucks. You know, we, we don't like it. But once you come through the other side, you realize in life that I did come through that unscathed. I'm here and, and I'm stronger for it. Exactly. Yeah. The, the hallmark of a good adventure is that it changes – the adventurer in some way um, it gives you it gives you confidence or it gives you um, the the ability there's something you learn along the way or something you realize about yourself um, there's all these there's all these great things that come from adventure and and a lot of times it, it can be during the adventure itself when you're out there on a long hike or, or run or, you know, you're finding the zone when you're out on two wheels um, and you get into this meditative state, this sort of flow state that takes your, um, it takes your thinking brain um, and, sorry, how does it go? Yes, because your body, you're, because you're using your body. It's the same, the same reason why you come up with good ideas in the shower. Your, your lizard brain is controlling the physical body, uh, one foot in front of the other, uh, keeping yourself preoccupied. And that opens up the filter so that you can access your thinking brain and your intuition about things. Um, and so actually some of the biggest decisions in my life I've made out walking in the woods and so there's there's also these these great uh, eureka moments that can happen when you're outside moving around when you're when you're when you're playing or when you're off on an adventure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that you mentioned the the whole flow state thing. Um, I would say if you've never found yourself in that state, you're not doing enough to get out there and have fun. I. I find mine when I'm snowboarding or skiing or more likely when I'm on some tight single track on the dirt bike where a simple uh, half inch miscalculation can, you know, throw you into the rocks, you know, in a heartbeat and you you find yourself in this flow state where you're just super concentrating but it's completely flowing naturally. It's like the 
the amount of calculations running through your head, you know, in a given second, it just, just amazes you, but they're all right there. They're on spot when you need them at the same time. And it's a, it's an amazing experience to, uh, to have. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you've read, uh, Stephen Kotler's book or his work around flow. Um, the, what is the book becoming Superman? I think. Um, and the thing that I, one thing that I, like to remember is that he actually worked out on paper exactly how challenging something had to be for for it to put you into a flow state, and it was four percent four percent more challenging than your current skill level. So, uh, <laughs> which is That's sort of cool. a random yeah. uh, random fact. But if you're um, to to access flow, you need to be having challenges. Uh, it can't be too easy for you, or you'll get bored. And it can't be too hard, and then you'll get frustrated. So, four percent is like the ideal uh, <laughs> challenge level to seek. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so operate just beyond the hundred percent mark, but not too far, because you can uh, <laughs> exactly. things can go downhill very exactly. rapidly at that point. <laughs> well, that right there, folks, is why you should subscribe to uh, Derek's podcast. Um, the Art of Adventure podcast and just listen to his teachings. Uh, obviously, he guy knows what he's talking about. I love the way you put that. Um, I am a subscriber at this point and, uh, and uh, like awesome. to listen in and, and see what you have to say about uh, things related to what I love. Absolutely. So, again, um, places we can find you. DerekLoudermilk.com. We can find your website and your blog. You have a lot of good stuff on there. Um, and any of the podcast apps, iTunes, Stitcher, any of that kind of stuff, the Art of Adventure podcast, and you're up to episode 97. You're almost at your centennial episode there. Yeah, and I'm working on a, on a cool episode um, where I actually interview my grandfather and my father and myself. Uh, I'm trying to trying to put that all into a single interview. Um, oh, cool. And so that's that'll be episode 100. Secret, awesome. Secret that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, great idea. I look forward to that one. Well, that's only a few episodes from now. So congratulations on making that far. I know uh, it's it's tough to get there. We just did our celebrated our centennial a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I, I, I don't point that out to say nanny, nanny, boo, boo, because we have two people doing it. So you've put in a lot of work to get to to 100. So good well, for you for doing that. Congrats to you, too. That's 100, 100 separates the you know the people that are committed to the people that uh um you know it's like it's like you you've graduated into the ranks of real podcasters <laughs> yeah what do they say something like 90% of uh podcasts don't get past episode 6 or something like that you know it's a lot of them start out and just fizzle out pretty quickly you know people find they don't have the time and yeah. or interest anymore so. yeah Good for you guys, or good for you, good and for good us. for us. We'll put it that Pat way. Ourselves <laughs> on the back. Come on. <laughs> That's right. The Boulder Outdoor Center wants to help you get outdoors and have some fun. With their adventures, lessons, guided trips, and gear, they make it super simple for you and your family to experience dozens of adventure sports. Located in Boulder, Colorado, the Boulder Outdoor Center offers adventures from ATV tours to hot air balloon or glider rides over the Rockies. Try your hand at stand-up paddleboarding, whitewater rafting, horseback riding, and much, much more. 
Visit the Boulder Outdoor Center on the web at www.boc123.com or give them a call at 303-444-8420. On August 1, 1999, Polly Latovsky left her Colorado home and headed west, traveling over 14,000 miles on foot, becoming the first woman to walk around the world. But it was never an easy road. Every day, Polly struggled with adversity that left her lost and miles off path. Her book, Three Miles Per Hour, The Adventure of One Woman's Walk Around the World, has won six national awards and is available on Amazon, Kindle, or her website for a signed copy. Visit www.3mphbook.com. That's www.3mileperhourbook.com. So while we're on that uh, subject, just to delve in a little bit, um, I'm sure we have a handful of listeners who, because they listen to podcasts, are thinking, you know, someday I want to do a podcast on this thing I've been thinking of. What is your best or two best tips um, that you would say for people starting up themselves? Well, and, and this applies to podcasting, but it applies to anything that you really want to do. Um there there needs to be a point when you rely on your courage and your bravery to simply begin because most of the time you're not going to feel ready. I didn't really feel ready to uh start traveling uh in, indefinitely. Um I knew that I knew that I wanted to and so essentially you just have to buy a ticket and start with a podcast. You you just have to hit record and start talking at some point um and actually just publish the first episode because you're never going to be a pro at the beginning. Uh, you, you can look and you see where the best podcasters are, where the best travelers, the best athletes, and you say, oh, I, that's where I want to be. But you were just starting and you have to accept the fact that you're probably going to suck a little bit at first. And, right. you know, so I, I consider my, my first 25 episodes to be sort of practice episodes. I was experimenting with a lot of things with the podcast and uh, I know that they're not my best work and I'm okay with that because I was learning the whole time. And um, so whatever it is, whatever sort of uh, challenge you want to set for yourself, you just have to take the first step. You really just have to put a stake in the ground and get started. Yeah, that's absolutely excellent advice. And it's amazing. This show is about adventure sports, but it is amazing how many people I interview where that is the common thread into what they what they say is the most important thing about what they did. And it's always don't overthink it. You're you're going to screw up. You're gonna get off the 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 line and you're gonna to have to bring yourself back. Um don't be too afraid. Just get out there and do it. Start. You can't Run until you walk, and you can't walk until you put that one foot in front of the the next. And so, once you get started, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna learn as you go. You're gonna figure out what it is, what direction you really want to go. And uh, and while you're getting there, it's just a phenomenal learning experience. We, you know, identical experience for us. I mean, we're by no means 
professional uh, radio people <laughs> at this point. But we, I think we've grown and we've learned a ton, and that's just how you have to do it. Yeah, uh, and and Travis, there's a lot of people that I work with that are uh, perfectionists, you know, and they want to make sure that they they learn everything before they get started, and, and that they're gonna be able to do it right. Um, and then they can have a tendency to beat themselves up if they make a mistake. And there's there's a difference um, when you make a mistake. If you say, "Oh, I'm I'm a bad person because I made a mistake," uh, versus thinking, "Okay, I." made a mistake and because of that I'm learning right now and so there's there's two ways of looking at it the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset and you and you really have to adopt a growth mindset because uh it makes screwing up okay and then you can and then you can just tell yourself okay I'm I'm learning from that and uh I'm a good person still and <laughs> people love me gosh darn it <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Sorry, I didn't need to throw that in there. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I have to admit, you know, in the early days of of doing this, I I heard probably half of what my guests' answers were because I was so concerned about the next question, or so concerned if something sounded right. And then I realized the magic of editing can make things turn out just fine, you know. And I think that's that's uh, probably a, a, another good tip for people trying to get into it. It's just like you said, just do it. You know, try to relax and just do it. You're going to be fine. Sometimes you'll screw up, but so what? You know, so what? Perfect. Yeah. So Bali, before we, we, we get off of, uh, the world travel piece, why, why did you end up staying in Bali? I mean, don't get me wrong. It sounds awesome. And, and I don't blame you one bit, but what was it about Bali? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, because when you can live anywhere in the world, there's there's a lot of choices, and you got to decide where you're going to be. Um, and the the thing about being a traveler that you have all this freedom to go wherever you want. The thing that's the thing that's missing is is a home and uh, a community that that you can rely on. Um, you know, my parents have lived in St. Louis, where I grew up, for. 35 years and they know everyone wherever they go they run into someone and it's and it's super cool to see that um and so that's that's the the struggle the the thing that nomadic entrepreneurs are dealing with and um among other things the town where i live in in bali um has a strong community of expat entrepreneurs that live here. Um, I've had several of them on my podcast and it, it's a place where you, you feel at home super quickly. Um, so that's, that's probably the, the main draw. Uh, the other thing is that it's super cheap to live here. I live in an amazing villa with a pool and a house cleaner and you know, my laundry is taken care of and all, we have a gardener and all these things and it's only a few hundred dollars a month. Um, and, this is one of the best places in the world to learn yoga, one of the best surfing spots in the world. Um, and so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity for adventure. Actually, I haven't brought this up yet, but, um, in a few days time, by the time this episode comes, comes out, it will probably have happened. We are trying to set the world record for climbing the three volcanoes of Bali, uh, Mount Agung, Mount Batur and Mount Abang, Back to back to back, uh, we're going to try to set the speed record for that. And there's just yeah, there's this great landscape here, 
to to go on adventures. So it's a, it's a perfect place to be. Oh, right on. Well, sign me up. You got a you got a place next to you for rent because <laughs> you sold me, man. That sounds awesome. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's funny. Like the offer is on the table. Like people can come visit me. Uh, if if one of the rooms in my villa is not available, I will find a villa. And um, so far, I have only had a few people take me up on that. So uh, <laughs> the challenge is out is out there. Wow. Right on. Come visit me. Put the gauntlet down. <laughs> You're talking about climbing the, the volcanoes, and you, you said one's called a bang. I'm not sure if I would climb a vo- volcano called a bang. <laughs> <laughs> I never actually put that together. That's uh, – yeah, hopefully don't we don't go out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. Uh, we're getting close to the end, but I was thinking you have – um, I mean, you, your life is about meshing or melding uh, adventure and entrepreneurship. Do you have uh, a book recommendation that, that does just that? I know you have a, a big recommendation list I saw. So is there one that you would say, look, if this is your thing, you need to read this book? Well, uh, I do read a lot and uh, partly because it's, um, I'm starting work on the Art of Adventure book my first book at the moment. Um, and they say to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader. Um, so, so I've been reading a lot this year. But um, the first book that comes to mind is actually uh, Chris McDougall's book, um, Born to Run. And that was, that was really influential uh, for, for me, just from a, from a running perspective, but also from a sort of exploring yourself and exploring other cultures perspective. Um, and, and I would, you know, he's a huge, huge hero of mine, Chris McDougall. I I was fortunate enough to be able to interview him for my podcast. Um, and so either of his books, natural born heroes or born to run are, um, are books that I, that I highly recommend that will inspire you to, to get out there and, and do something to go on an adventure or to create something, you know, like the guys that have created, the Leadville 100 race, um, or, or creating something around what you really enjoy doing. Right. Absolutely. Well, great, great recommendation. Okay. The last thing that we're going to wrap up with is a funny story, but I did want to make sure we got to your virus discovery in Yellowstone. So tell us all about this virus. Ah, well, um, and why is it you discovered it? Were you looking for viruses? (laughs) That was our goal. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been curious about um, life, the beginnings of life, and and the potential for life on other planets. And so I decided that I had to go to the most extreme environments on Earth, the boiling acid hot springs of Yellowstone National Park. And um, we were specifically looking for viruses because they're the simplest forms of life that we know of. And um, we surveyed over 200 hot springs throughout the the national park there. And um, we were able to cultivate uh, a new, a new virus, a new form of life that, that was unrelated to any known forms of forms of life. And, um, you know, the, the coolest part, um, well, it's, it's cool to find something new, but the coolest part really was, was getting out there in the national park. Um, We were sampling year round, and uh, so at times we had to snowmobile into the hot springs through uh, herds herds of bison, 
that uh, one one time we we came around a bend and found ourselves right in the middle of a giant herd of bison um, because they were sort of clogging the road. Um, and they, and <laughs> as they, they do. <laughs> as, as bison do in the winter. And they sort of closed around behind us and we were just smack dab in the middle of this herd of bison and we were just like kind of inching forward with our snow machines and at any moment one of them could have just sort of like flicked its head sideways and knocked us off um and, and so we were just sort of like weaving in and out very slowly this herd of bison it was a surreal experience because they they kind of looked at us like what what are you doing around here shouldn't you be somewhere <laughs> else more safe <laughs> it's um, my backyard buddy exactly um you know, but but we we picked our way through and we made it and we got to our sample site and it's there's all kinds of experiences like that um, where it seemed kind of dangerous but exhilarating at the same time. Um, so it was it was a really fun um, fun project for sure. Well, that's cool. That's a neat line of work and uh, it can take you back into the the corners, all corners of of Yellowstone where most people don't ever get back into. That's cool. So funny story time. We're going to wrap it up with this one. Uh, we always like to end with a funny story to go out with. So in all of this traveling you've done, all of this searching for viruses in Yellowstone, what's uh, what's one of the more funny experiences that, that you've encountered? Oh, that's a good question. Let me let me think about that for a second. Okay, Travis. So what uh, what comes to mind um, is this uh, story when I was in Vietnam. We were um, – motor motorcycle motor scooter riding essentially scooters um down the the Ho Chi Minh highway which is goes from the north of the country to the south of the country and it's actually the highway that the essentially the rebels used to track goods up and down when they were fighting against the American army during the Vietnam war um, but it's this amazing beautiful stretch of highway that goes through the mountains and jungles of Vietnam and there's there's always when you're when you're out there having an adventure there's always these these moments when everything works out just the way that they should and we um we had been we've been on the scooters on the motorbikes all day and we were trying to make it to to this one point you know to the halfway point of our ultimate destination of Dallas which is which is the Paris of Vietnam uh, we wanted to make it there by the next day, so we knew we had to be halfway there or better by sunset. And this was monsoon season. And so in the afternoon, these huge thunderstorms came in and just were covering the road with you know feet of water. And it made the, the going much, much slower. And you know we were trying to take plastic sheets of tarp and uh, – get them over our bag so that all of our possessions aren't soaked, um, you know, because I'm traveling with all these electronics because I'm trying to host a podcast at the same time as being a traveler <laughs> and all this stuff. Um, and, you know, each time we get to, we think, okay, we're just going to push a little bit more. Uh, and, then, and then the sun is starting to set and we think, okay, the next town, got to find a hotel. And we, we roll up to town and um, – we say, oh, is there, is there a hotel? Is there a guest house? Any place to stay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just keep going, um, you know, three miles up the road. And there, the town ends in like one mile. And so we get, and we're in the middle of the nowhere. And we're like, I'm pretty sure that there's no hotel out here in the middle of nowhere. So we turn back into town and 
you know, we're looking for a hotel. The sun is the sun is just about to go down behind the mountains, and it's pouring, pouring rain. And we're we get to the edge of town, and we think, oh, what you know, what are we going to do? We're going to have to go farther in the dark. Is it going to keep raining on us? Is we're going to be miserable? And all of a sudden, the the storm breaks for a second, and the sun sort of comes over the peaks and the mountains, and uh, there's this rainbow over the town, and we see um, we see this guest house that's essentially right where we were when we first asked, "Where's the hotel?" Uh, and oh, so, no kidding! <laughs> and so the person must have been totally uh, had no idea what we were asking for. Um, they were just like, "Yeah, just just keep going. It's fine," um, because they didn't want to they didn't want to act like they didn't know what they were talking about, of course. <laughs> so uh, we ended up going That's out of town, great. coming back in. The rain stops. There's a rainbow. The sun is shining right on the hotel. And it's like, oh. And we go in and we're like, do you have a room? And they're like, yes, we have one room left. And we're like, thank, thank <laughs> God. You know, and it, um, yeah, it's just these like these funny synchronistic events that happen. Uh, everything works out exactly how it's supposed to. Um, in That's the end. Awesome. Um, but it's going to test you <laughs> along the way. Yeah, you're going to get the rewards, but you have to go through the trials to get there. That's great. What a good story. <laughs> all right, Derek. Well, man, I appreciate the, uh, the the stories and all the information you shared with us. It was a, a great episode. I learned a ton, and uh, hopefully people will come visit you and uh, continue to learn um, about everything that you got going on over there with uh, the podcast and your writing and and your coaching. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on with me. Yeah, Travis, it's, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking one adventure to another. It's always it's always great to rap about this stuff. So uh, anytime, it's been it's been good. Ah, very well. well. Anytime you can roll podcasting, uh, entrepreneurship, and adventure all into to one discussion, uh, you got you got me for the evening. So perfect. Bingo. Right on, buddy. All Have right. A good day. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in while Derek and I chatted about bicycle racing, adventure travel, and podcasting. Derek's got a great show over at the Art of Adventure podcast. Check him out at DerekLaudermilk.com as well. And as usual, you can always check us out on Facebook at Adventure Sports Podcast or 180 Tech. Give us a like on either one of those pages. You can also leave comments on our blog posts on AdventureSportsPodcast.com as well as find us on Twitter at 180 Tech. Thanks for listening. 